One of the ways that we're doing that is, is through this podcast series. We're trying to utilize the platform that PPL has as a vehicle for bringing in new and different voices to the issues we encounter every day. For us at PPL, race, place, and policy are three important dimensions of those issues. So we thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you'll add your voice to that discussion. Today, we want to have a conversation about community engagement and equitable development talking about how we work with people, not for them or on them. I'm joined by Anthony Taylor with the Cultural Wellness Center. Welcome, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to see you, Paul. So so before we get uh, kind of too far into the weeds, tell us about your role, Anthony, and, and the work of the Cultural Wellness Center. And, and how did you kind of come to this work? Mm-hmm. Well. You know, actually, I, I think I'm going to always kind of go back to the origins of, of the Cultural Wellness Center. And one of the things that I will have to point out always is that in the beginning, PPL and Cultural Wellness Center actually had a relationship. And the Cultural Wellness Center started over 25 years ago with a very small mission of looking at um, health disparities in the Powderhorn neighborhood. It started out as this really small project that was really a line um, one of our great partners in community, looking at uh, kind of doing some self-reflection to say, how can we be better at, at actually supporting our community? And as a health organization, what are some of the challenges, right? And so the Cultural Wellness Center really did some groundbreaking work, I think, at that time, looking at the intersection of culture and health in a super diverse community on the south side um, that had a broad economic you know range um, in terms of who lives there Um, there were different people working in the community than living in the community and one of the uh, pieces that came out of that work was this idea of the foundational role that culture played in health and they literally came up with a new definition of health that was kind of maybe an oversimplification of it was this idea of the connectedness may be the ultimate measure of the health of a community. And that was really uh, foundational work. And then the Cultural Wellness Center has been able to kind of do that work and apply it in a couple different areas around healthcare, education, municipal engagement, um, and more recently, um, economic development. And I think that is really kind of what brings us to here where we, um, as a partner in the global market um, and as a Um, partner in, again, a number of PPL projects looking at family support and, again, adding this element of culture and the role that that played uh, has really put us on a trajectory to to really investigate what does community development um, look like when the outcome is improvement in people's lives, right, and like the real measure of quality. And, again, um, it's really been you know, that's really been a new question, right? To say, if development happens, has it ever been measured in a change in quality of life for people living in that community? Even though we started out improving the buildings or the streetscape um, and looked at those places. And so this has really been exciting because I, I, again, the project that we're working on together now, uh, we're talking about it in terms of community engagement. Um, but in, in reality, what I would say is that this has really been 
a joint venture to answer that question. And that I think it really almost, um, you know, a partnership with PPL and the Cultural Wellness Center around a development project is really um, kind of, it's a surprising combination in many people's eyes. Um, but I think for us, again, it's a, a tremendous opportunity because what we really saw was that PPL as a community development organization um, was actually leaning into those questions. And it was an opportunity for us to ask you that question directly related to a significant uh, development coming on the south side. And that was really, I think, how we got to here. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I, we have worked together and, and uh, uh, Mother Toom, the founder of, of, uh, of the Cultural Wellness Center, has been a, a dear friend and a close colleague in work both in Minneapolis and in St. Paul over, over many years. So I'm curious about about your kind of skill set and your your um, where where is it that you came from in terms of kind of your work history and and I, how how did you, how did you get to kind of this place? Um, wow. Well, you know that the, the well I'm, weird trajectory, but I'll tell you what. Most recently, I've always I've you know I'm a chemical engineer my first life, and my first love has always been biking, and so I really you know wound up with this. Um, weird opportunity. I've always been focused on, I wanted to get more people on bikes. I've always wanted to do that. And, and, and in simple terms, you know, a while ago, it was like, I just want to get more black people on bikes. It wasn't complex. And, you know, it was like, just, I was biking. There were not black people biking. And I thought, let's, you know, we can do something about that. And the, and the work, the cultural wellness center supported us as a community initiative to look at this idea. And we started major Taylor bike club. Well, over the years, for me, I think my own growth has been that this biking thing was not about the sport of biking, that, that biking had a greater uh, opportunity as we looked at it around transportation. And the more that we looked at it around transportation, what I really began to see was that this was really about uh, placemaking. This was really about this, this challenge between the way we're designing our cities to um, support cars or are we designing our city to support people? And what would be most important? And, and actually the, the, the best example for those of us who know South Minneapolis, you know, it, Lake and Nicollet is kind of where we're based and it's a, a nice locus, great intersection. If you look at the area income is the way that the most cities and developers might start out looking at it, you're gonna come up with a number that's like right around around 43 to $52,000, right? And, and that's a livable wage, right? Well, what happened is when we dug into the data and we looked at the at the median at the income of people who live within six blocks of Lake and Nicollet, we found that it was less than twenty nine thousand dollars. When we looked at another six blocks, we saw that it went up, but it went up to about thirty eight thousand dollars. When we looked at eighteen blocks, we saw this huge jump to closer to fifty two thousand dollars, and that was when. Again, the skill set of looking at a community from, from a livability perspective, um, looking at a community in terms of when you build something, what's the net impact on people, right? You know, versus cars. And like those are the pieces that kind of came together. And, and that was really, again, marrying that to the financial analysis, right, that we have to do in development was really kind of us coming, to, coming together around those ideas. So, uh, so let's talk uh, really about uh, kind of how we've been working together, more specifically at Lake and Nicollet. You've covered a lot of this with 
with Wells Fargo um, uh, and, and kind of their former bank branch there that was burned in the racial uh, unrest uh, a couple years back. Um, we, we, we kind of started, as you have mentioned, with a different premise for rebuilding at that site. Um, talking about, as you said, that culture and place matter, uh, that community voice matters. Um, can you just talk about uh, kind of that approach to community building and engagement and what, what has that looked like at the Lake and Nicollet site? Yeah. Well, I, I, like I said, I think that the when when PPL really began to look at this site uh, for redevelopment again, we really sat down and started to ask questions, like I said, about what will be the net impact um, on the people who live in the community. We, we sat down and talked about a community engagement process. And I think the way that I like to describe it is we decided that engagement would be the result of the process, right? Not the process. And so if that makes sense at all, right? That 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 really our measure of success would be the, the organization of people at the end of our process. So we really, one, immediately began to talk about culture as an asset. And we did a deep dive to reposition and reclaim the history of our communities. And I think so that people had a shared understanding of how we got to here. And I think it was a little... Um, it was, a, I think people were a little concerned uh, in the beginning uh, when we really sat down and said, we're going to talk about when, when Lake Street was a trail system, right? Um, and, but again, it was really interesting to take a whole community uh, in solidarity to go through an experience of understand the origins of this community and the ways and with 3030 Nicollet and with Lake Street generally to realize that the way that we summarize it, people have always moved to Lake Street for opportunity. Lake Street has been a destination for immigrant communities for the entire, all the entirety of it being Lake Street, right? And you know what I mean, as, as we know it. And I think that was really surprising for people to, to really see the Norwegian and Swedish coming here after, um, you know, you know, um, you know, claiming the land from the indigenous community people who live here. And then uh, after that, for there to be um, a period of time where, again, the African-American community moves in in the 60s, 70s, and for them to see the change in demographics towards that, which we can we can point to, to the political things going on around that, and then to see the shift in the community, uh, again, that happens where the community moves towards uh, attracting uh, Latinx community like that they come and then the Somali community comes and then additional East Africans come and now the uprising happens and we have to reevaluate everything. And so for, for them to all see a legacy of these different people moving to Lake Street for opportunity, I think set a tone um, that really put people in the space together. And, and we wound up doing a series of community events where every week our goal was to expand the capacity of the community to imagine a future for itself. You know what I mean? And I, and I think, and I, and I always say that sometimes it sounds almost too Pollyannish or too grand, you know what I mean? But, but in truth, uh, marginalization and historical racism and systems that work against people in terms of economics or immigration, it has a way of limiting your ability to imagine a future that is vital and positive and includes you. <laughs> right. And so our work um, around our engagement was us standing in communities, 
um, learning about the history, experiencing culture, right? So we, we experience Latinx culture, African culture, African-American culture, um, and then beginning to share information uh, with people to really uh, uh, you know, grow their capacity. And, and I think one of the sessions that was most amazing was the one where we had, you know, our architects, our team of architects leading a community process, teaching people how we design and then asking them to design. Mm -hmm. And, and it really was exciting to, to do that. And I think, and I know that they felt empowered. Um, and again, their understanding was expanded. And again, what we measure is engagement. At the end of it, they stayed involved with us in the process and are involved with us to today. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that just so resonates. I, I mean, it, it, you all have heard me say a number of times, how we do the work matters as much as what the work is, right? How we rebuild on Lake Street as is important is as important as what we rebuild uh, 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 on Lake Street and along along Lake Street. So, so what is what is that? What does that look like? What are some of the things that people are talking about? What do they want to see? What do they aspire to to, to see there? Just in kind of tangible terms. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that you know one of the things that I, that came out of it that I think we have shared, and and I'm and I'm, and Paul, I'm telling you, we've shared this nationally in this conversation. Was one of the things we we kind of always show up with is this idea of public space and how we were gonna do it. One of the phrases that came out of our project was this idea of communal space, that, that they wanted to design what we were calling public space as a space that was intergenerational, that was um, available for kids, was available for sewing circles, that was available for um, uh, uh, presentations, I mean, like performances uh, that they might use for birthday parties. Um, but really the idea of this, this this cultural expression with the ability to feel free was really something that, that came out of it and that we needed to design it in a way where all cultures were celebrated. The other thing that really was, um, was very consistent um, was that this was a multi-generation project. Like I, I, I think, you know, it's easy to say, and we talk about generational wealth, but what we realize is that the communities who live here now are actually building for the next generation, like that they actively are doing that. And so they really wanted to talk about strategies. Um, they wanted to talk about investments that were not about this week or this summer, but they wanted to talk about things that would be long lasting and more importantly, have generational impact. And that was really, um, very, very consistent. And, and so it was really exciting. And I think the, one of the ways that that manifested um, in terms of what um, what is happening was, and you'll probably talk about this more, was that, that PPL, in terms of the design of the process, rather we were doing lease space, but actually created an opportunity for small business to have an ownership stake in the spaces that we were developing. And we're starting early enough so that we can actually be partners in actually helping them develop their business to be ready for ownership, right? It's not, it's, it wasn't like, okay, here are the keys, you know. Well, and again, that has been so powerful as we have gone through the engagement process to really, to, to learn that. And you mentioned the, the, the ownership, uh, shifting to an ownership strategy with the commercial space, right? So as you, as you mentioned, you know, originally we said, well, let's put commercial space in there and Let's find some some uh, 
some BIPOC, black, you know, black indigenous community of color businesses to put in there. But, but then we shifted as we listened and engaged to an owner. There's an ownership opportunity here. These businesses want to own their space. And oh, by the way, as we create that opportunity, how, how about if we bring to, to bear some of the business support functions, right? Help strengthen and launch and accelerate the business opportunity there. So, so I think I know we're looking at at least three or four different uh, uh, BIPOC businesses that'll be in the commercial spaces in what will be a multi-use facility. I know we're talking certainly about housing on the site, but both rental housing and ownership housing, again, in that spirit of creating ownership and, and opportunity. So, so, and there, there will be community space. It, it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think, are we also gonna have an acknowledgement of the old uh, baseball park uh, that was on that site? Nicollet Park was right, I think, in the heart of this site. Uh, one yeah. of the great minor league ballparks. And as a matter of fact, you used to be able to take the trolley, right? From the St. Paul Saints ballpark at University in Lexington, the, the neighborhood that I grew up in, used to be able to take the trolley. I have, I have, you know, relatives that would take that trolley and go see, you know, both teams play. Minneapolis Millers, St. Paul Saints, both on the 21A, what is the 21A bus line now, uh, the Selby Lake uh, line uh, along uh, between those two, uh, those two locations. So, um, so, so good stuff. So you, you mentioned uh, the timelines, I think is an important, uh, time is money, right, in development. Uh, and for developers, the more time it takes to put a project together, the more expensive it gets. Is it, so I wanna ask a rhetorical question, uh, which is, um, so adding all of this engagement and all this listening and, and, and it, doesn't that end up costing more, right, in the overall project? And, and, and who's gonna pay for that? Well, you know, absolutely it costs more. Um, but I think again, um, really, it was really easy for um, PPL, you know, in terms of you know the the focus on community to really see it as an investment. That's something that really this is a model in some regards, really, for all of the work around development to really begin to see that, right? That is to understand that this time part of the process, that this ability to to work this way and begin to do some work that does this alignment around timelines, um, that does this investigation where you create, again, the, uh, the outcome, the engagement actually shows up in the way people stay involved in a project over time, that they develop a, a future, they, they this vision that is longer than this week. All of that is part of it. And I think those are the things that, that come out of it. And that's the language we're talking about, a pro forma that includes human capital investment that will, that will show up in dividends in the long run for us in terms of our real goal of actually improving quality of people's lives. And so I think that, that you know, that's, that's really how I think about it. And I think that this has really been the, the, the test for us, right? Um, is to really think about it that way. And now we're in proof of concept mode, right? Um, and I think that's what really gets exciting now. Well, and, and again, that cost is very real. And, and I, I love the way that you framed that in terms of, of really rethinking the pro forma and writing, the, writing those costs, both the costs of engagement, uh, as well as, as, as the, the broader costs of doing more inclusive work and incorporating different kinds of spaces. Usually the fight is, is with the funding sources over, okay, what can we include? Yeah. Can we include a community room? 
in this affordable housing development, right? And, and, and the whole push is to, is to minimize, right, the cost per unit so that we can take our scarce public dollars and spread them as, and get as many units as possible. Part of what we're, we're pushing here is, is a rethinking of that cost per unit and recognizing that there are other, other relevant costs that in fact have broader impact and broader long-term value to the community yeah. and in terms of ownership and things like that. So, so we have stretched at PPL as we have been starting to apply for funding to, to pay for all this in, in this multi-use, multi-dimensional community development project, right? City of Minneapolis has stepped up. Uh, Hennepin County has stepped up in, in a significant way recently. Metropolitan Council, Wells Fargo itself has stretched and we continue to push them uh, to stretch. Uh, we're, we're Minneapolis Foundation, Lisk, Propel have a joint uh, uh, fund coming out of the, the state of Minnesota that we're, that we're trying to work with. But, but it, is, it is more costly and it is a different kind of uh, financial projection. So, um, uh, so, so we're, we're excited about that. And I agree with you that we're, we're pushing those boundaries in some really creative, uh, some creative ways. So, um, so I wanna shift just a little bit more. You, you mentioned this earlier, it's kind of around human capital development. And you've talked with us in the past about, 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 about equitable development. This is the way I've talked about it at, at PPL is about this, this combination of, of human capital development, right? How do we connect, engage, energize the human capital in our community along with economic right, capital and economic vi vibrancy, along with the physical aspect, the placemaking, right? What, what, what happens when we connect those three? I've heard you talk about this in, in the past, the human, the economic, the physical. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, the, 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 the biggest thing is this idea, again, of, the, of what is the net impact on the humans in the space, right? You know, that this idea. And so I think, again, where, where I think for us, the benefit of, uh, really, we get the great benefit of our partnership with PPL um, because of that idea is that there is this way where we, one, we have to, the, the big shift is we see the people in our community as an asset themselves, that they are an asset and should be uh, invested in, right? And, and there'll be a return on that. So PPL as an organization, we actually have the ability to um, invest in someone's capacity for economic creation. I mean, it seems really like a simple idea, but the foundation of all the things we want to do for people often is very simply in our ability to help them have stable, predictable, family-sustaining wages in terms of income. And in some ways, we're so close, right? Because what we see in these communities, we have people that are at $29,000 a year, a minimum wage jobs brings them up to 34. Well, we have kind of found that 43, 45, maybe a, maybe a magic number, right? In terms of where a family has one job, right? And if they have one job and they're in stable housing 
then where do you see the, the, the next impact? Well, they spend more time with their family. Um, where does that show up? Improved educational outcomes. Where, you know, where does that show up? Is, is that is that kind of idea? And again, what we see in terms of human capital investments, we have programs around uh, job job creation. So we're doing the negotiation with the, the job creators in our geography, in our community to make those jobs available to people in the community that we live in. You're also doing workforce development. So now we're doing workforce development that aligns with the opportunities that are coming online and the people. So, so this is really what I think is a, a shift for us in terms of the way that many people think about the work. We're saying we want to make a geographic intentional focus of these inputs in the spaces that we are doing active built environment development. Well, and and again, it 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 harkens back actually, and this was work that that I did and several people at PPL did through LISC across the country, right? In the in the 90s and 2000s, there was a body of work really called comprehensive community development. And it, it started out the folks in the South Bronx uh, and and uh, the the uh, the community development corporation in uh, Bed-Stuy over in Brooklyn, the historic African-American neighborhood, Harlem, not only the Harlem Children's Zone, but other community development work that was done through Abyssinian uh, Baptist Church uh, uh, in Chicago, in some neighborhoods in Indianapolis, where, where you saw this, it's not enough just to build housing and put a roof over someone's head. We need to think about what's going on with the kids after school. What, and we need to think about green space and bikeability. And we yeah. need to think about the commercial corridor. And actually, folks don't, if, if, for those who know the history of the Phillips neighborhood, going back to 1995 and Murderapolis, right, the, the, the South Minneapolis, Franklin Avenue was, was kind of ground zero, right, for that battle between the Crips and the Bloods. We had real economic, you know, the, the corner of Franklin and Portland uh, was completely abandoned. Uh, Franklin Avenue itself was a long stretch of, of bars, ton of street prostitution and, and uh and drug drug activity, um, the effort collectively to rebuild community there and to think across disciplines in terms of the commercial corridor along Franklin and Lake Street, the, re, the rebuilding and the revitalization and the rebuilding of community, the reconnection of community at the Sears redevelopment, the, now the Midtown Global Market, and certainly the role that, that uh, 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 immigrant and and other BIPOC entrepreneurs have had there. Um, the creation of the Midtown Greenway, um, the decision by Wells Fargo Mortgage to move into the, uh, uh, yeah. the old Honeywell headquarters. Those were all, those weren't entirely coordinated investments, but there was a, an ongoing conversation about how we think about multiple investments, multiple disciplines in and around the neighborhood, the work of Latino Economic Development Corporation, African Development Center, and, and our good friend Hussein Samatar back in the day, uh, uh, and Mike Tamale and so many that worked on uh, micro-entrepreneur development. Those are all vestiges of, of that same process that I think you're talking about. Um, and certainly for us at PPL, that's what we believe. Turns out, I just written, wrote this down while you were talking, sounds like it takes a village to raise a community, right? It takes a village to raise a community. And it takes, it takes cross-disciplinary thinking. It's not just a one and right. done 
And it's not just one strategy, it's multiple, multiple strategies. So, so, so say a little bit about, you know, so what do you see kind of in the future? I keep thinking about um, the way that we do, for example, TIF. Right. We do tax increment financing and we think about the ways where we reallocate, you know, those those dollars. I am envisioning a future where we do something similar with human capital. Right. That we really begin to think about the things we're talking about, where what happens, you know, there are different versions of it, but we haven't done it broadly, where when we do these developments that we are able to align similar dollars uh, for the built environment for the human capital side of this as well. And we and we really do begin to really understand that and 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 think about those uh, those community members that again that we are building and that we actively measure it and I think as a matter of fact you uh, uh, your partner in crime Michael Fave and I uh, we literally are we're just kicking off a project that we're talking about to say can we move a hundred families from twenty nine thousand dollars to forty five thousand dollars a year like like literally that is that's what I, I see that we ultimately are gonna make these huge 40 million, $100 million investments in built environment. And we're gonna have a, a, a parallel measure to that is going to be the number of families in that community that we move from X to X plus $15,000. So it, it, it sounds to me like we actually know what works, right? We, we know what works. It, it sounds like we're we're not quite organized and aligned in the right way across strategies and we're not necessarily funded and financed in the right way. But, but my, my sense is the money's out there actually uh, and we know what works. Would you That's, agree? I agree. And I, and I think again, you know, thank goodness that you're out front driving this ship, right? I mean, I think that, that it, it's really important. And I think that, you know, what you just said is really critical. We, get, we have to get more leaders like you that say there is enough money. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a huge risk, right? Um, because there really is this idea of how do we align the money that we have? How do we prioritize these the money that we have and that we are actually using to support people in a way that support people's growth, right? That's the that's really the other thing, you know, is this, that it is always about increasing agency, not subordinating people to um, their, you know, their, their rent subsidy, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's what I mean, you know, and, and, and you can, you can, you can actually support a person in a way where they begin to live within the frame of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, and that's it's just, it's the same dollars with a different positioning and a different kind of support. This is about mobility, personal agency, validation, right. Um, and again, helping people envision a future that is vital and includes them that, yeah, that's yeah. Huge. well and and i i mean when you use that term um i, I think of of uh choice a agency agency is about uh, a capacity and stability and choice yeah i have the option to to move i have the option to get to a job somewhere else i have the option to access supports and services um, uh, 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 with, 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 with opportunity, right? That's we, right. We, we talk at PPL a lot about building communities of opportunity, right? So when people say, hey, we have to deconcentrate poverty, 
right? We have to send the poor out, right? So somebody else has to share that burden, right? I'm interested in building communities of opportunity. Why is it that we can't have right, com a community of opportunity at 3030 Nicollet, at Lake and Nicollet? That should be a vibrant place that people have the option to choose. That's right. And, and the agency and the capacity. I'm also struck by a, a little bit of what I was thinking as you were talking is um, communities that have agency, right? Don't burn themselves down, right? Th they don't burn the, their village. The communities that have agency and ownership and investment don't in fact burn their village down. And, and I think that has been a lesson for decades actually in, in this country probably uh, in, in this world. So one last kind of hard, but, but straightforward question. I, you know, for, for our listeners, um, how, how, how do you think they can influence this, get involved? What, what is it that they can do um, to, to, uh, to make a difference in this world? In this world? Well, I, you know, I, I think that th those that have the capacity absolutely invest in the non-traditional strategy right i think that if you are if you are if you have resources that you are looking at uh you know uh, putting into uh these i mean find something find the one that's non-traditional find the one that's talking about human impact like in a real way you know what i mean not just good feeling um and and that is talking about the community as the asset right not not us as the asset right um i think that's one thing i i, I do also um i really appreciate what you just described in terms of choice, because I, I think you really get to the crux of it in some ways is that there's the, the opposite of this is creating communities of concentrated uh, citizens who believe they have less choice. Mm. Right. And, and, and that's uh, one of the things that really um, is a challenge for us, right. Is that we, we, we have to investigate all of the ways that we're making municipal investments we have to reinvestigate all the like when we're voting with our feet, you know, I think you know, where we move, the places we go, where we spend our dollars. I think that, that, that the idea that there is enough money is really important. And what we have to do now is direct those that money appropriately. Right. Trust the people we work with and, and really aim those outcomes towards quality of life improvements we can measure. And, and I think that a lot of the a lot of us are engaged in different organizations. We all, we all should be voting. Uh, we all should be talking to our city council members um, and we should be supporting organizations on the ground that are, that, are, that are really taking a risk and make sure that we can, we can take more risk and make this happen. Well, that's fabulous. Uh, thank you, Anthony, a great, great discussion. Um, and, and thanks to all of our listeners for, for joining us today. I'm Paul Williams from PPL and this has been the Race, Place and Policy Podcast. We'd love to hear what you have to think uh, as well. Drop us a note at communications at ppl-inc.org. Give us some thoughts or some ideas on what you'd like to hear about next and, and any thoughts that you had on uh, today's conversation. Um, we hope you'll subscribe and sign up for notifications uh, from wherever you get your podcast. You can always find us on our website at ppl-inc.org. So until next time, thanks so much. Uh, and thanks again, Anthony. And uh, be well, stay safe.